Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Bible Breakdown. We have reached a little bit of a sad time in The Bible Breakdown, and that is because we have finished David's portion of the story. I know, he's a really great character. There's so much more to cover. I already mentioned a couple of things that we skipped over, like the whole time that he's waiting from the time of his anointing to the time of his actual ascension to the throne. That's such a great time, a great lesson about just waiting on the Lord. We had to skip that. He actually has quite a bit of a family turmoil, actually, uh, as God told him through Nathan as a consequence of his sin. Um, he was going to have family turmoil. He basically had it until the day he died, and his family was even in turmoil after he died. Uh, his, his son Absalom, pretty evil guy, tried to take the throne, kind of brought a little rebellion. Um, then there was some other rebellion that David had to deal with. Um, there was some more trouble with the surrounding nations. Anyways, there's a lot that happened not only after the story of David's sin, but even in between all the parts we skipped. But we are moving out of our portion of talking about David. However, genetically, we are staying very close to David because we are going to be talking about Solomon. Okay, so before his death, God led David to choose Solomon as his successor. Okay, he was not the like oldest descendant that David had or anything like that. There wasn't necessarily a birthright here that would lead Solomon to be the the choice. Okay, that was not and that's one of the reasons I think that during the succession of Solomon there was so much trouble. The birth order of all these sons is a little complicated and I don't want to get into it too much. All that to say, Solomon was not the oldest nor was he even the oldest living at the time when he was chosen. All that to say, this is God's plan, not the just normal succession that would have happened. So uh, Solomon was Bathsheba's son. So uh, that is uh, just an, also another time for us to recognize that as, as a person that followed his human lineage to the line of David, Jesus has in his line of uh, his genealogy Bathsheba. So a great example of how God redeems things even when we are sinful and how even a line that had as much uh, difficulty and trial uh, we see is at the end, uh, we see David or Jesus line um, as the son of David. So I think just a real point to God's grace there. But Solomon is the one who gets chosen um, according to God's plan. Um, he kind of had to eliminate some of the people who were scheming for power around him. So First Kings 2 gets a little bloody. Uh, by the time we get to 1 Kings 3, though, Solomon's reign is pretty secure. And let's just see what kind of guy Solomon is going to show himself to be. So 1 Kings 3 is where we're going to start today. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. All right, so that's the first three verses. We get a couple of data points for Solomon. We're going to do a Bible breakdown first today. We're going to play a game, and this game is called Great or Not Great Solomon. Okay, so I am going to propose a few of the facts that we've seen here, and you decide in your own heart and be honest uh, if you think that is great of Solomon or not 
great of Solomon. First one, he makes an alliance with Egypt. Okay, hopefully you've had a time in your heart to make an answer. Alliance with Egypt, not great. Oh, alliance, that sounds good. Egypt's not necessarily great, though. Here's honestly probably the biggest problem. It was a marriage alliance, okay? God didn't want them to intermarry. This comes up frequently during the Old Testament. That is not God's design for the nation of Israel for them to intermarry. I'm going to read you a passage from Deuteronomy 7, and it will become quite clear why. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Spoiler alert about Solomon's life. He is going to be turned away from following God by uh, his wives who worshiped other gods. So there you go. I'm sorry if you thought Solomon was a perfect guy. He's not. The ending of his story is not as great as the beginning. So not great. The alliance with Egypt may be okay. I don't know. Marriage alliance, mm, not great. All right, second question or second statement. People sacrificing to God at the high places. Maybe you already guessed it. Maybe you didn't. But this is also not great Solomon. And Solomon did it too, actually. We're going to see what we already saw in verse 3. So these were places that were often used for idol worship. So they were not preferred. It was kind of like a, uh, just a a difficult kind of, well, these are really kind of designed for worshiping other gods. We're going to worship God here, the one true God. We're going to worship Yahweh here, but this is not the place it was intended for. So it was kind of tolerated to an extent before the temple. We see here that Solomon was great, except for he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So we see that it's uh, there is a condemnation piece um, from God about doing that, not what they were designed to do. We know, of course, that the original design was for them to be worshiping at the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, as we're going to see, it's kind of gotten a little bit complicated there too. Anyways, it's not great. Even though he is sacrificing to God or people are sacrificing to God at these high places, the high places are not ideal. So that's not great, Solomon, because Solomon did it too, not just people. Number three. Solomon loved God and walked in David's statutes. You're correct. That is great, Solomon. Look at him go. He did it right. If you got all of these right, please email freeprizes at gmail.com. See if they will give you something. Uh, The email address makes it seem like they might. I do not know if this is a Gmail that is in service or not. I'd be kind of curious to find out. Disclaimer, the Bible breakdown is not required to uh, compensate you for any phishing attacks that are made while emailing freeprizes at gmail.com. So uh, if you feel so inclined, you could email that address or acting in more wisdom, you probably shouldn't. Wisdom, that's going to come up again. All right, so that was our first try of Great Solomon or Not So Great Solomon. I hope that you all did well, and I hope that you are not the subject of any phishing attacks from Gmail accounts that I have promoted. All right, moving on to verse four. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand... Let's try that again. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. There we go. There's a reading. Okay, so what we see is Solomon is going to 
the high place, and this was the greatest high place. Okay, so uh, what maybe made it great? Uh, this is what I was reading um, in my commentary. This time, we've moved on from Doctor Bergen because he was in First uh, and Second Samuel. We're now in First Kings, where we've got uh, Doctor Paul House. Um, and one thing he mentioned, he pointed out a cross-reference to First Chronicles, where it says that's where the tabernacle was, even though the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. So that's what I'm saying. The tabernacle situation got a little bit confused because, again, the uh, the Ark was originally in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle with like this thing that somebody made is over in Gibeon and the Ark's in Jerusalem. And it's, again, they're just getting confused. But apparently Solomon was a high roller when he went to sacrifice, even if it was on the high places, up to a thousand sacrifices. He used to offer a thousand burnt offerings. Like That makes it sound like he did it somewhat regularly. Maybe he did. I don't know. He did it at least once, and that's a lot. So um, he goes uh, to the great high place. He offers a great sacrifice. And what we're going to see is God is at least evidently overall pleased with Solomon here in this story. So moving into verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in the uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Okay. So God basically comes to Solomon in a dream and he asks him, what do you want? No pretext, no nudging, just kind of, uh, he actually kind of commands him, ask what I shall give you. Just really blanket statement, a very broad offer. Uh, Solomon knocks it out of the park on this one. Uh, first off, he praises God for how he has loved his father, David. He recognizes that David was committed to God. And then he thanks God that he's continued that steadfast love onto him. Okay, pretty good start. He also is humbled by the position that he's been given. And one of the statements that he gives that shows us how he is humbled, he says, I don't know how to go out or come in. Solomon wasn't apparently real used to using doors. No, that's not quite what he means. According to Dr. House, I said Paul House earlier because I didn't want you know Gregory House from the show House to be confused here. It's not him, in case you were wondering. Anyways, Dr. Paul House, writer of the commentary, He's also a member of the ESV Translation Committee, I saw, or at least has been, a.k.a. he knows what he's talking about. This is an idiom for leadership, okay? So like in English, we might say, yeah, he calls the shots. That is like a, okay, he's in charge. This idiom is uh, of knowing how to go out or come in, not specifically the not knowing how to go out or come in. That is uh, an idiom for leadership. Okay, so he's Solomon's basically saying, I don't know how to lead, is what he's communicating humbly to God. Okay, so that's what's going on there. That's what he means when he says that. 
he's admitting he has no clue how to lead a nation on his own, especially. He's going to also recognize the weight of leading not just a nation, but leading God's people. The nation is great because they're chosen by God. He says, "How who who could possibly lead this your great people?" That's what he. That's kind of what he. So he he starts out, and that is uh, what he says. All this in mind, Solomon asks for, and this is the quote from verse number nine: "An understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between." good and evil. Of course, a very important job for a ruler. If you grew up on this story like I did, oftentimes we're told Solomon was asking for wisdom, right? So that's really what he's asking for. He's asking, please give me the ability to lead this people. Give me the wisdom to lead your people. So God gives him a blank check already signed, and he asks for the ability to Do the job that God has given him with goodness and justice. Move over, Aaron Judge. That is a home run from Solomon. Okay, perfect answer, right? I used to pray for wisdom as a kid because of this story. Now, here's the one difference between me and Solomon. I already knew the next part when I was praying, and I was thinking I might just pull the wool over God's eyes real quick. Verse 11. Oh, no, let's make sure we get verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Okay, as you might suspect, God is very pleased with Solomon's very genuine request. Okay, remember, young me was looking probably for riches and honor, hoping to trick God by praying for wisdom. And it's like, but you're going to you're gonna throw in the, it's like a ask for wisdom, get riches and honor for free, right? That's what young me was thinking. Solomon didn't know that God was also going to offer this to him. So we see a very good portion here of Solomon's character that what he really wanted was the ability to do what God had asked him in that season, okay? And God tells Solomon, he's, this is basically, he's kind of laying it out. I I know what you could have asked for. God tells Solomon, he could have had, uh, he could have asked for very worldly things, long life, riches, vengeance on his enemies, right? But God honored the fact that Solomon asked for something godly and humble. And so God tells him, you are going to be able to discern. In fact, you're going to be the wisest ever up until that time, and the wisest after. So move over, wise guys. Solomon is not giving up the crown on this one. I I think the only way that we can really recognize this is 
either he's going to be like the wisest king of Israel ever at the very least, which is pretty amazing. Or he's just like the wisest person ever of all time. End of sentence. Either way, pretty good. So Solomon is, uh, he's, he's getting what he asked for. He asked for the ability to do the job that God has chosen him to do. And he gets it. And he gets it in, uh, in spades that he would not only be wise, but that he'd be as wise as anyone has ever been or would be. And then in addition, wait, there's more. He also just grants him wealth and fame, unlike any who would be his contemporaries. So not quite the same promise. I don't know that, um, I don't know that Solomon would have envisioned TikTok, but I have to think that there's probably some TikTokers who are, uh, maybe more people know who he is or she is. I'm not on TikTok. I just know it exists and it makes me sad. Anyway, he promises him though that maybe not, you're not going to be the most rich or famous guy like ever. And you know, how do you compare somebody with a billion dollars to somebody who's got like thousand pounds of gold? Sounds awesome to like weigh your money instead of actually like just count it and it's paper. Sounds pretty cool. But he does say he's going to be as rich or famous as any of his contemporaries more so. And God also says as an added bonus, if you continue to obey me and keep the statues, if you keep walking like your father, David, which again, as we've talked about with David, doesn't mean he's perfect, but at least when he is confronted with sin, that he acts in repentance. Then he also says, He's going to have a long life. So those things that God recognizes he could have asked for that maybe a a lot of people would be tempted to ask for. God is very pleased that Solomon has not asked for these things, but has asked for something instead much more humble and godly that he said, I'm going to give you these things too as a bonus. And that is very kind of God to do that. He did not have to do that just because Solomon gave a good answer. Giving him just the wisdom that he asked for would have been uh, an incredible gift on its own, but God doesn't. Uh, God doesn't shy away from giving us good gifts. So Solomon wakes up and he's like, oh, that was a dream. I don't think we're meant to take that as this all happened in Solomon's mind. Uh, Instead, I believe that it's just kind of to help us understand how Solomon experienced that. uh, Because it's always, I think, a little bit confusing when people are communicating with God. Like, oh, I wonder what that was like. And so we uh, we get the narration that it was kind of like a dream. And that it like literally was a dream. Uh, But that maybe helps us kind of understand maybe what it was like for Solomon, which I appreciate that detail. So he comes to Jerusalem, to the Ark of the Covenant, and offered sacrifices. Bonus round of great or not great Solomon. This is great Solomon. Okay, so he came to the Ark of the Covenant, which I think is, I think this is probably the better place. That's my understanding from this. This is a better place for him to offer sacrifices. And he does. So... Solomon, he's uh, he's stacking up some uh, excellent choices here. And then they had a feast. He also probably had, this isn't in the text, but it's kind of between the lines. He had probably some of the greatest party banter that anyone has ever had. Uh, yeah, no big deal. Uh, just found out from God. I'm going to be the wisest and richest and most famous guy you've ever known. No big deal. So that is what Solomon had to talk about at the feast that he threw for all his servants and whether they were genuinely interested or not, they were his servants, so they probably did whatever he told them to do. But that is the story of Solomon asking God for wisdom. Like I said, I grew up on that story. That was that made it into the uh, rotation of uh, whatever Bible curriculum I was a part of as a kid. 
I don't know, maybe it did for you too. Uh, if not, I hope this was helpful for you to understand. I do think, though, this is a good time for us to think about some application. How does this story change the way that we interact with God, the way that we uh, live our lives, the things we ask God for? Um, it's very important when we read these stories that we don't just look at it as a, like, wow, that was cool for that person, but rather, like, what is a what is a person doing here that is something that I should emulate? Also, uh, what is an opportunity for me to glorify God? What do I learn about God's character? Um, and I think we've got all of those things here. So I think for for me, as I was thinking through application, how do we apply this for today? I recognized that Solomon's prayer um, was not only uh, humble, he, he recognized his own limitation, not only was it better than asking for something worldly, but it was also very relevant to where God had placed him in that moment. We can tend to focus so much on the future, what's next, or maybe even the past, something that's happened that we can't seem to let go of, that sometimes we neglect where our feet are planted now. Sometimes we think so much about the future or the past or what we hope will be true or what we wish hadn't been true that we neglect where we are right now. We kind of neglect our present reality. Think about the most important job that you have now. What is the thing that you would think is the most important job you have now? It doesn't have to be a profession. It could be your own personal ministry. It could be your profession. It could be being a student. It could be being a parent or a grandparent, being a spouse, being a son, being a daughter. Whatever that is, we all have in our lives uh, important job or jobs. Uh, sometimes you may be like, yeah, I'm all of those, uh, and they're all important, and that may be true for you at this time. And think about what it is that right now you feel most called to. What is it that God has most put on your heart to be uh, excellent or to have like a big responsibility in? And the problem is, when we think about that thing, uh, a lot of times we're entirely focused too much on what's next, or again, what already happened. Or sometimes if it's like a profession or uh, maybe being a parent or a grandparent or uh, being a son or daughter, maybe we're just kind of focused on when is the work in this going to be over? Like when's this going to get easier? Or when am I going to get to retire? Like those may be the things that we're thinking of more than where we are now. So I want us to think about what does it look like? I'm going to steal a little phrase I've heard a few times. What does it look like for us to bloom where we're planted? What does it look like for us to bloom where we're planted? Whatever we're doing, wherever God has us, that we would ask God that we would be committed in prayer, that we'd be humble in prayer, that we would recognize God's providence through prayer, that we would ask God to give us the ability to do what we're called to now and entrust the future to him. That's really what Solomon is doing. Now, not to say that he was in want. I'm sure that even uh, before he was promised to be the richest of all his contemporaries, his wealth was still, uh, I don't think he was wondering where he was going to get his next meal, right? But at the same time, he maybe he desired to be famous. Maybe he desired to be wealthy, but he knew for certain that God had called him to be the king. And so he asked God to give him the ability to do what he was certain God was calling him to. And as far as all the future, all those kind of things, long life, etc., he entrusted that 
to God. God has you where you are now on purpose, just like he had Solomon where he was on purpose. Our jobs, again, they're not quite as glamorous, but from king of a nation, king of a nation that was God's people all the way down, all the way down on the list of jobs or roles or circumstances you find yourself in in life, doesn't matter. We aren't actually in our own strength equipped to be who we are meant to be in the kingdom of God apart from God's work in our lives. We may feel really comfortable in our job, but that does not mean that it's because we are totally equipped in our finite beings to actually be sufficient for that task. If we feel like we are, then maybe it's just God's mercy that um, he has equipped us so well. Though it is also a time for we need to be like, oh, if I'm feeling pretty comfortable, God must have shown me a lot of mercy in this. Because we're not equipped to be who we are meant to be just on the strength of our own power. Because ultimately, we are part of God's kingdom. Whatever our job is in, in role, in relationship, in profession, all of those things take place if we are in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ for salvation. All of those things are taking place in, under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God's goals are much larger than the goals that we set before ourselves day by day. And so if we aren't, if we think we're equipped in our own strength to be who we're meant to be in the kingdom, then we are, we're already kind of missing the, the whole idea. And that's what Solomon teaches us here. If we can learn anything from Solomon, and there's quite a few things we can learn from Solomon, it's that we are better off asking God to equip us for the task at hand rather than asking him for a way of escape. We're better off asking God to meet us where we are than asking him to put us somewhere else. Not to say that there's not another place for you in the future. But the truth of it is, is that God is going to handle those as well. But for what we know, for what's in ahead of us, for what we know God's calling us to now, the best thing we can do is ask that God equip us for the task at hand. Instead of trying to get around to a different task and then say, okay, maybe equip me over there. Or God, could you equip me with new car? Could you equip me with X, Y, Z? Could you make this parenting journey a little easier? We're better off asking that God equip us for the task at hand rather than asking him for a way of escape to give us the nourishment to bloom where we're planted. Because there are a lot of these things that we're not just getting out of because of our own willpower. Some of these things are possibly lifelong pursuits that God is calling us to. Now, here's the thing. It's not just a, this is not like a get a better attitude, get over it sort of deal. Okay. There's part of it in which we have to change our attitude because we get complacent, we get upset, we get discouraged. We have a lot of negative emotions around the things we're being called to often. But it's not just about, this is not a adjust your attitude, self-help deal. When we own what God has called us to, whether that's in a season, a short season, a long season, anywhere in between, when he's called us to in a season, when we own what he's called us to in a season, and we act in faithfulness, we get the opportunity to see him work, and we get to be a part of his revelation to the world. Because wherever we are right now is not by accident. It is by design. Or sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are maybe a, a result of our own sinfulness. And even in those, God's mercy and his grace for us 
still make that a place where we can bloom, where we're planted, where we are still able to be what God has called us to be in the midst of that. That's just an act of his own grace. So wherever it is you find yourself, I'd say probably especially those things that you know you're called to that feel incredibly frustrating in this season. What we have to do is we have to own what God has called us to and act in faithfulness, submit ourselves to him in prayer, asking that he would give us the ability not just to get through, but to make much of him wherever we are. And again, we get the opportunity in that to see him work because we will see him work because he is at work. We also get to be a part of the grander narrative of God's story to get up to be a a little cog in the machine that is the kingdom of God that is overcoming the world, that is overcoming all our difficulties, the kingdom of God that will one day be established for us forever in which we won't experience these types of hardships. But instead, we'll get to be with God forever. We'll get to be doing something that we were always created to do, and we'll be able to do it with him right there perfectly. And so we aren't going to see that in our lifetimes on earth, but we are going to get to see that in the kingdom of God. So for us during this time, looking forward to a time when all these things are going to be renewed, we have the opportunity to participate in God's kingdom now, even if imperfectly, and we get to look forward to seeing God's glory revealed, and to eventually a time when God's glory is fully revealed, we are perfected, and we're with him forever.